The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini episode 80.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episode. And hey, William Bibiani, huh? That guy delivered. Oh, he was everything I expected and more. I mean, I still can't get over the musical origin story. The fact that he knew what song we used and then was able to improvise a parody. That was amazing. Speaking of which, though, I did want to give you a heads up this is just an early plug for patreon but the reason being you know we always talk about the uncut episodes well what are you getting out of an uncut episode you are getting not just occasional flubs or maybe you know some cursing from michael or something like that but you are getting full conversations that just have to be cut out for time sometimes we're going on tangents like bibs had a whole conversation when michael came on he's like hey i like your shirt because he was wearing a hawaiian shirt he goes off for like 10 minutes about hawaiian shirts, how he tried to start a double Hawaiian shirt fashion trend in high school. Like, there's all these stories that come out and more. So, you are literally getting way more episode if you are subscribed to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wizards comics. There's just a lot more that's being said that you're not going to hear but our patrons do. But hey, you want something to talk about? How about some contest giveaways from Wizard Issue 80? Let's check out Cap's Kooky Contests. All right, so this first one here is really neat. This is the Everybody Smoosh Now art contest. This is presented by Image Comics, and it says here, It seems like any normal day in the Image universe except reality has gone haywire, and it's up to Spawn, Witchblade, the Savage Dragon, the Mac, Shadowhawk, and Majestic to make things right again. But when these characters touch, they become amalgamated versions of themselves. It's Witchestic, Shadowspawn, and Dragax to the rescue. But the world is full of these smooshed characters, and this this is your chance to contribute. Take two image characters, not including Spawn, Witchblade, the Savage Dragon, the Max, Shadowhawk, and Majestic, throw them into a blender together and draw what comes out. In other words, draw your own amalgamated image character, give him a cool amalgamated name, and send it in. The coolest ones will actually show up in altered image number two. Snicky Doodle! Snicky Doodle? <laughs> Grand prize? One twisted reader will have his smooshed image character appear prominently in altered image number two and be given credit for his creation. Plus, he will receive the page of original art his creation appears on, a set of altered image number one through three signed by writer-artist Jim Valentino, and an image I close home pin. First prize, 25 highly imaginative readers will each have their smooshed image character appear in altered image number two and be given credit for their creation. Plus, they will receive a set of altered image numbers one through three signed by writer-artist Jim Valentino and an image I close home pin. And guess what? We have that issue in the archives. I was actually in a back issue bin a couple months ago, and I was like, I can't believe it. Here it is right here. It says, Wizard Contest Winners, right on the cover next to the logo. And so I'm going to give you an idea of what was going on here. We'll post it to social media after this episode drops. But it has three pages of the Wizard Contest winners. So these are the people that actually drew into the issue. So here's what we have. Number nine is James Laponte of Ancola, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, who actually submitted two. The first was Blowout, who is Death Blow mixed with Burnout from Gen 13, and Shemp, which is hilarious. He says it's She Dragon and Emp, but you just gotta love that. Find it a way to get your Three Stooges reference in there. Okay, next up, Dave Carlson of Moscow, Idaho, created Major Patriot. Uh, so I know who the Super Patriot is, but Major who? Somebody's got to tell me. Now, the next one here, Daryl Ward of Orleans, Ontario, created Spartess, which is Spartan and Sublime from DV8. And then they say, shouldn't it be Subtan or Spartlime? <laughs> the next one here, Owen. F. Bonaventura of San Francisco, California. He combined voodoo with dark child to give us voodoo child, which Jimi Hendrix would definitely approve. That's actually a very fun one. 
next one here, Kenny Camacho of Yalco, Puerto Rico. He created Wild Guard, so it's Wild Star mixed with Vanguard. You also have Rip Void, which is Rip Claw and Void, which is a very cool design as well. It's very Witchblade-esque. The next one here, second to last, our pen ultimate winner, really has the best art of everything I'm seeing here. It's like, get this fella to draw your comics at one of the studios. This is Darkness and Warblade, Dark Blade by Andy Kibui of Analoe, Virginia. So that's very cool. Now, the grand prize winner, they say, take Will Sportacio's Mother One, mix it with Eric Larson's Mighty Man, and you've got one mighty mother. <laughs> that was created by Kevin Metz of Springfield, Missouri. And he says, he had us rolling on the floor with this one. Kevin wins the grand prize. Original art for ages four and five from this ish. It's yes, it says ages, not pages, which is pretty hilarious. Kevin's character will appear in alternate image issue number two, and then a side set of alternate image books, number one, two, three, and an image cloison pin. Our thanks to all our contestants, to Ian, Ben, and all the guys at Wizard. Now, Ben is Ben Plavin, who we actually had on the Wizard Files, and we interviewed about his, you know, involvement in setting up all of these different Wizard contests and giveaways. So if you're curious, you can go back and look that up. But this was a super fun contest. I especially love when we can find the issue that features, you know, the winner's entries in some way. So again, we'll post that to social media for you to enjoy. But before we close up shop on this particular contest, we got to check out the Legal Jumble. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, Image Comics, their immediate families, and whoever came up with the idea to include Majestic. What is that about? They don't like the idea of Majestic? Hmm, that is strange. I guess they just didn't think he was one of the top tier uh, image characters. All right, let's check out the next one here. So prizes are awarded in the names of the contest winners and are not transferable. Is smoosh really a word? <laughs> so they're a little incredulous about their own choice, but hey, there you go. Now on to our next contest. Dynamic Forces and Graffiti Designs present the Avengers Assemble Contest. What, Marvel didn't have a say in this? Anyway, Earth's Mightiest Heroes are undergoing a face lift and soon the latest and greatest Avengers roster will be unveiled. But we thought we'd give you super genius readers the chance to outdo those Marvel masters by letting you create your own Avengers dream team. Grand prize. The Ultimate Avenger wins an original page of George Perez art from Avengers number four, the third series, a copy of the Avengers number one, third series, alternate cover signed by Perez, and a copy of Avengers number four, third series, signed by Perez and an Avengers t-shirt. I love how they had to designate that. You're not going to get Avengers Avengers number one, guys. First prize, 20 Avengerinos will net a copy of the Avengers number one, third series. Alternate cover side by George Perez, a copy of Avengers number four, third series. Side by Perez and an Avengers t-shirt. What you do is jot down the six Marvel characters that you think should be members of the Avengers. Then write 100 words or less why you think these heroes would be the ultimate fighting team. You can choose any characters you want. Just make sure you justify their membership. We'll play review board and determine which team reigns supreme. That person gets the keys to the Avengers mansion. Okay, not really, but he'll get some nifty prizes. So there you go. Curious to know how many people were writing in and saying Spider-Man, Wolverine, Luke Cage. I'm just thinking of Bendis' eventual, you know, Avengers roster. So interesting there. All right, let's get into the legal text here, which they're calling Matt Murdock stuff. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, Dynamic Forces, Graffiti Designs, their immediate families, and any members of the lame-ass Great Lakes Avengers. Who came up with that weak idea? <laughs> Oh, I feel like people love them now. Those lovable losers of the Great Lakes Avengers, at the very least. Squirrel Girl started there, didn't she? Next here, we have no mechanical reproductions of completed forms are accepted, but you can photocopy the entry form below if you don't want to mess up your magazine. Did you forget that Gilgamesh used to be an Avenger? We sure did. Gilgamesh, yeah, I don't remember that character either. I mean, pulled from some classic storytelling, right? But all right, let's get into our last contest here. It was only a matter of time. The Tomb Raider 2 Mania Contest. Lara Croft is back in Tomb Raider 2, the sequel to the more popular than Elvis action-adventure game. Lara fights underwater enemies in new exotic locations, swings from chandeliers, climbs walls, and explores a ton of new 3D worlds. Want to get your hands on her? Bet you do! Grand prize. One lucky Lara Croft lover takes home a copy of Tomb Raider 2, a PlayStation system to play it on, and the Tomb Raider Witchblade comic book 
supplied by writer-artist Mike Turner. First prize, five adventurers, each with a copy of Tomb Raider 2 for the PlayStation and the Tomb Raider Witchblade comic book signed by Mike Turner. Second prize, Ted Witters each get a Tomb Raider t-shirt and a Tomb Raider poster. We're gonna make it easy for you. Just fill out the entry form below completely and send it in. That's it. If you're one of the lucky few whose names get picked, you'll walk away with lots of Lara. Get clipping! So yeah, pretty easy. Interesting here though, they don't actually feature any video game footage. It's a picture of the Toy Biz Lara Croft action figure on a very cool set. So I'm wondering if they like borrowed this from Toy Fair probably and then just stuck it in there. <laughs> All right, let's check out the legal hoo-ha. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Entertainment, Eidos Interactive, their immediate families, and anyone that uses a Commodore 64. Anyone remember Raid Over Moscow? That game kicked butt in like 1986. <laughs> My brother was a big Commodore 64 user. I loved that computer. I loved all his early computers, especially like when they had those just black and then green. It was just a great aesthetic. All right, next one here. All entries must be received at contest headquarters by April 30th, 1998. Say, in Tomb Raider 2, you can squish people with a machine gun man snowmobile. Who says old-fashioned mutilation ain't fun? <laughs> So there you go. Very fun edition of Cap's Kooky Contest here. But you know what else is fun? Fan casting comic book movies. That's right, it's time for a casting call. Oh yes, we are back with another casting call. And this time around, Wizard is uh, going to the farm. Yes, they're looking at a Top Cow live action casting call for The Darkness. And when I heard Top Cow, only one name came to mind. That's right, it's our resident Top Cow expert, Rob. How you doing? Adam, thanks for having me back. Glad to be on and always glad to uh, help. Yeah, absolutely. You are definitely our go-to source when we need the info, right? Like what's yeah. funny is this particular casting call, at the end of it, they actually have an ad where they're saying, hey, thanks for making our number 11 issue where they had 11 variant covers a success. And you have them. <laughs> yes, but of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about these characters because there's a lot of them I think I'm not going to know. Like I read like the first five or six issues of The Darkness. Sure. But I can't say that I remembered anybody except Jackie. So <laughs> even I had to refresh my memory a little bit on some of these guys. I'm like, I don't remember. All right. So you know, for the big dog, the main character, I felt like this was kind of a surprise pick in a way because they wanted the one and only Thomas Ian Griffith aka Terry Silver from Karate Kid Part 3. Like you guys have said, they find a photo that looks like the character and they're like, yep, that guy right there, he's gonna be perfect. And then I was like, eh. Like he's supposed to have, you know, obviously a dark edge, which he could project, but I also feel like Jackie's supposed to be like the young, pretty boy, hotshot type. And this guy's not that. Did you have somebody else in mind as you've read the comics over the years? My first thought was Mel Gibson. He had the hair for sure if you're going for a look. And I thought, you know, that time in the late 90s, he hadn't quite gone off the deep end yet. He was kind of worse, but guy, he was the he was the most, uh, what, the best looking guy on People Magazine at one point. Yeah, anyway, sexiest man alive. He, yeah. he is a great actor. And I just thought, you know, I thought he could pull that off with the look and kind of, maybe that's a stretch. But Okay, because I was thinking like even younger, I was trying to say, okay, who's kind of an up and cover? Because I don't think a Darkness movie was going to be a big budget block. Busters. No. Like a new line cinema movie. Sure. Like, Absolutely. And so I was thinking somebody like Brad Pitt was just coming up at this point. He's just about to like really become something big. And he, he was you know, dye his hair darker. He just he could have that mysterious feel about him. Or Johnny Depp would be a little quirkier, but I also felt like he might be able to do something with this. I consider I thought about Johnny Depp for sure. That was another. And I thought about Kurt Russell, but that would have been from like 10 years prior to that. He would if it was like Kurt Russell from 1983 or four? Oh, it'd have been perfect. That's I mean, what I feel like. Say with Mel Gibson, it's kind of like he was a little bit. I know it was starting to push. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, as far as uh, his boss here, Don Franchetti, they want Danny Aiello. You need an Italian? You call Danny Aiello? What do you think? I actually thought that wasn't a bad choice necessarily. I, you know, you're right. He's kind of a go-to, but no denying, dude's a good actor, and you know, he he could pull off a role like this. 
easily and i think he would fit that it, that character is kind of like a father figure to jackie right so i feel like he is the warmth that would come through not just like yeah. you know like a tough guy so for sure yeah i i had no problem with that choice yeah, yeah. now speaking of mel gibson uh for jenny kind of the the girl that he goes to to kind of spill his life's troubles with and flirt with a little bit at the bar right they wanted sophie marceau who was from braveheart i thought that was funny when i thought about mel gibson i thought oh well they've been together before but what do you think is she a good like kind of shoulder to cry on type character i guess again you know i sat here and thought about some of these this afternoon the way i saw her character in the book i thought about winona Ryder from that time hmm. um i thought she might be an interesting she kind of plays those kind of characters the kind of timid but sisterly kind of thing you know kind of role now, only because she just played this role in Top Gun Maverick, but I was thinking Jennifer Connelly because I was just yeah. like, hey. <laughs> that would work. That would, that would work. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right. Why don't you tell us uh, who they wanted for Lord Sonatine here? Because that that's what's interesting is you, you're going to get this kind of evil looking dude in the comic for sure. But uh, then the actor that they picked for it. What do yeah. You so they, they chose F. Murray Abraham. I'm not sure what role that picture is from there of him. Maybe you know, you may know. I wasn't even sure who that was. The guy is undeniably a great actor. I just saw a short interview clip on Twitter. Uh, they were talking about his acting correct. Just saw it this morning, just by pure, you know, and that dude can play anything. I, I think he could play that role. I was, for some reason, I, like I go back to like Iron Man 3, where he's like, he's like the vice president who's like, yeah. The- Calculating right. evil dude he could do that so about yeah they're saying this was from a movie called an innocent man he looks like a pro wrestler in this he does movie. that's a weird photo and i have not seen that movie i don't remember that movie if i saw not, that yeah not at all now for the angelus uh they want denise richards from starship troopers <laughs> i had a hard time with that one i gave you that one didn't really, I get it. She's sort of an, whatever. She's an attractive character, I suppose. And you've got Denise Richards, who at the time, of course, was sort of the it girl for, you know, five minutes. And I thought about Feruza Balk. Ooh, yeah. She played those really quirk. And it's kind of an evil looking character. It's not just your basic, you know, attractive female kind of thing. You know, I always think about her from the craft. And I always, yeah. I, I thought she might could pull something like that off, especially then. That's, that's a fantastic choice. And I was actually kind of thinking, like speaking of, the craft if it was somebody who was going to maybe try to take a maybe more of a challenge although she kind of played a bad girl in wild things but i was thinking nev campbell could probably do an interesting thing with that role too yeah it would be interesting too yeah all right for wenders who is sonatine's lackey they're saying here this is like little skinny blonde dude they yes even spade i'm like really i get it again maybe they match the photo with the guy and they're like oh, david spade he kind of looks like that guy how about James Vanderbeek? Oh, you know, he plays that character that's just kind of wimpy and sort of, you know, you're just like, really, dude? But that's who, that's who I came up with for that role. I like that. That's interesting. Vanderbeek, you know, you bring in the younger audience here. They're going to check it out. It's kind of like all those movies that Joshua Jackson was doing back in the day, the skulls and all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. He's not high price. He's not a high price actor. You can get that guy for cheap. No, yeah. <laughs> now this is one they were looking for a voice actor to be the darkest, or you know, one of these little creatures. You know, this is like kind of the main one that Jackie would create with his powers to be his lackey. You know, essentially, and they wanted Hank Azaria. I don't know if they're thinking like because he did Anastasia and I kick her, sir. You know, like yeah. A weird. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I guess. I mean, the dude does voice. And I, you know, I don't know if you had somebody you thought would be really good for something like that. Well, I I was trying to think like who would be a distinct person you know that maybe didn't do a lot of voice acting, like when Gilbert Godfrey was in Aladdin. You're like, oh, Gilbert Godfrey, you know. And so I would point to somebody more if we're going kind of like a smooth talking cool guy for for Jackie. You maybe want someone who's a little bit more devious, a little bit more like fun and. I always feel like Joe Pantoliano is just, he'll always give you a little bit of something where you listen to him. You're like, oh, this guy's up to no good. You know, that would, that would, that'd be, a, that'd be a great choice. Yeah. He'd be good. There's all kinds of guys you could get for, you know, whether you can afford, you know, Robin Williams, I'm sure would do just an unbelievable. Right. But you know, who could have, you know, I don't, I'm not sure these guys could afford to Robin Williams. Yeah. Probably, probably not at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. No, not at this point. No. For Ian Nottingham, I need to go back and check. Cause I'm almost certain they, they just had cast a Witchblade movie. And so, so this is kind of a crossover character from that. And they chose Philip Ree, who they said was in the best of the best. I think they just 
used him again. <laughs> I think they did too, if I recall. But you know, that character's he's British. He's not Asian. Yeah. He's 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 influenced by Asian, you know, Japanese culture, and that's out of horror cows characters, but but he's but he's British. He's not so that sort of thing. I had a hard time coming up with somebody for that because yeah, I'm not sure why they chose this guy because that is not well um, who I was thinking of, and I think they cast him maybe in a different role in the Witchblade casting call, but it was that guy who was the villain in the crow. Do you know who I'm talking about? I do know. He, no, I can't think of that guy's name to save my life. Right yeah, now, but, but he, he feels like he could play like he doesn't have to be 100 percent evil, but he could be dark and mysterious like Ian Nottingham is. It's, right. I know. I sat there. I thought about Jeremy Irons for a second. But then really? I mean, you can't get Jeremy Irons, but I thought <laughs> British actors from that time, they were a little yeah. younger. And, you know, you got to put a wig on him for sure. Dude's got long hair and stuff. All right. Now for uh, Toro Doshi, who uh, they're saying is a Japanese assassin, but they chose a Chinese actor <laughs> they want to I know. from big trouble in little china yeah well i love that guy for one thing he's he's great he's awesome like as an actor goes but yeah in these days you couldn't get away with that because somebody would get after you right away but so and i know most of the martial artists were coming more out of the chinese you know school they were it's true and right through and all that so yeah. i mean i would have more lead towards again another up-and-coming guy at this time but jet lee oh jet lee be great yeah, because this guy's more like just snappy patter and like attitude. He was less about the fighting. Scene. It is true. It is true. I love that guy. But you're right. Yeah, Jet Li would be great. That would be it. And again, as always, they close out with kind of like the most obscure. Like, oh, well, we got to put one more in here. And so they wanted for Apollonia Franchetti, who's John Franchetti's daughter. I'm assuming there's some sort of tension there with Jackie and her. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Uh, they wanted an actress. I don't know Vanessa Marcel from The Rock, but I don't remember her in that movie. She's Nicolas Cage's wife or something. Like I remember. Yeah, was... they were. I don't think they were married yet. I think they got engaged at the start. She would be all right, actually. She, I, I liked her in that role. That's. I don't know that I recall seeing her in anything else other than The Rock for sure. But I, I liked her in The Rock. I actually. When, when I look at the picture they chose from the comic, I think Courtney Cox. Like that's kind of who I'm seeing. Yeah, I can. See, I don't know. I can see, I can see <laughs> I don't know if she really screams Italian. You know. I might I could see Denise Richards in that role more than I could see her in the other role. There you go. That might work better. Now, as somebody who read the comics, is there another character that would have been in the mix that you would like to have seen included in the casting call? Or did they cover most of the bases here? Obviously, they were only up to around issue 11. And that was pretty much the main cast up to that point. Again, Ian Nottingham, they'd done their first crossover with Witchblade. They did the Witchblade Darkness crossover like in issue 10, I think, maybe issue before. So I, I think maybe that's why he was included. But yeah, other than that. You could have had some sort of little crossover thing going and it might have been interesting to see. I, I think that that would have been the way to go because then you yeah. get the power of both working together right. just like the comic did. It was a lot of synergy. But as we close out here, I do want to ask, since you are the Top Cow aficionado, is there a Top Cow book that you feel would have made the best movie, like seeing, seeing it adapted? Honestly, and at that time, I think those two for sure would have made the most. You know, you had Cyberforce and stuff, but those things, I, they wouldn't have adapted very well to the big screen. You'd have to spend millions of dollars, and I don't. It, yeah, I think these two, you know, which okay. Play. So you're, you're not looking at Weapon Zero or anything else? No, but, as much as I love Weapon Zero, that's you know. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think these two, as far as bringing them to the big screen, I think that would have been the way. All right, well, fair enough. Well, Rob, thanks for joining us and adding your expert opinion here. But where can people? take a look at your collection on a daily basis because you post some awesome stuff. So I'm mainly just on, well, we're not supposed to call it Twitter anymore, but I refuse to stop calling it Twitter. Yeah, X, yeah. At Rob, his comics and stuff, it's at R-H-O-L-M-E-S 0520. Now every night, or depending on where you are in the world, but here every night, I'm going to post every single Top Cow comic from now till I ended my collection, which was about 13 years worth. Yeah, always something to see, guys. So go follow Rob. And hey, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks, as always, Adam. Hey geeks, it's time to take a break to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Manscaped. Smooth sack summer is drawn to a close, and that means now is the time to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. Just go to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code WIZARDS20. You know, there's a lot of ball-related heroes in comics. Speedball, that bizarre Marvel Comics villain 8-Ball, the Fast Ball special from X-Men Comics, but the most important balls are yours, and that's why you need 
accompanied the Power of the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. It has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. Manscaped has built the ultimate grooming bundle that includes their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, it can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 Kelvin LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Gotta see what's going on down there, after all. It's also waterproof with a blade that can shear through even the strongest pubes with the precision of Wolverine's adamantium claws. But after you're looking good, you want to feel good by using the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to stay cool in the heat. Its soothing aloe vera formula is the best in the business for below-the-waist freshness, and this clear-drying formula will keep you looking good while smelling good. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 also includes two free gifts, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. While it's still warm enough to rock those sandals, you'll also want to use the Shears 2.0, a luxury nail grooming kit to keep your nails looking great. This kit includes stainless steel nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors. With the Performance Package 4.0, your balls will be ready to impress, but make sure you cover the rest with the Shears 2.0. So what are you waiting for, geeks? Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WIZARDS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code WIZARDS20 at manscaped.com. Have a ball being a grooming hero this summer and looking your best with Manscaped. Hey geeks, looking for something different than another reality-shattering crossover from the big two? Do you want a self-contained sci-fi thriller with a dash of super-powered excitement? Then Above the Grave, a graphic novel by Mitchell Hall and Andrew DeSilva, should be at the top of your reading pile, and it's available to download now on Amazon.com. Here's what Above the Grave is all about. In Mako, the supervillain prison of the world, located underground in the Nambian Desert, no one finds redemption. Or can they? Follow the adventures of new warden Rick Mastertine as he deals with a prison break by rogues such as shape-shifting Mr. Twister, luck-manipulating Russian Roulette, sentient lethal banyan tree Divine, and brilliant Chimera Crocitis. Rick must also discover the true secret of Mako and come to terms with his own personal history while dealing with an action-packed supervillain prison break. Above the Grave is a 136-page graphic novel that's more than just another superhero smackdown book. I read it, and frankly, I couldn't put it down, the reveal of what's going on in Mako and the secret plans of the superpowered inmates are perfectly paced by Hall for maximum intrigue. The black and white art by De Silva is cinematic in scope and perfectly complemented by sharp dialogue from engaging characters. And it really reminded me of the 80s black and white adventure comics, just those indie books from First Comics and Eclipse Comics. It's a story with a more sophisticated edge, but it puts entertainment first. So head on over to Amazon.com to grab your copy of Above the Grave today. You can check our show notes for a link, but strap in for a unique and thrilling adventure in graphic storytelling with Above the Grave. Now back to the show. Now we're going to find out what Wizard thought of the current crop of comics in The Skinny. So this time around, our wizard editors who are doing the reviewing are Brian Cunningham, Andrew Carden, and Lars Pearson. So they're sticking with these X books right now. They're checking out X-Force. says, this book's X-itis is curable. And this is during the John Francis Moore Adam Polina run. What you need to know. Banded together by the mutant military leader Cable, team member Siren, Sunspot, Meltdown, Warpath, Danielle, Moonstar, and Domino are a mutant strike force fighting for mutant rights. They have since left Cable behind and hit the road as free agents. The good. Once the team dumps Cable and heads off on its own, issue number 70, the series really starts taking off. Without crossovers to stifle characterization, you learn and care more about these characters. And without Cable's financing, these kids tackle a rare predicament, making money. Sure, snotty rich kid Sunspot tries charging everything on his credit cards, but when his credit's suddenly no good, the team has to fend for itself. Helpful footnotes give this team a real sense of history. These characters have been around for a long time, and well-timed references to the team's past helps round out these heroes a bit. And the initial concept of the team is intriguing as well. Basically, X-Force is an aggressive X-Men team whose members are sick and tired of being persecuted and take matters into their own hands. The quirky art actually works with this title, giving a physical manifestation to the outcast nature of the team. The bad. X-Force suffers from X-itis, an ailment common to mutant titles, and that there's too much going on. There are too many plot threads being spun at the same time, all vying for equal time. Here's a sampling of only three plot lines going on all at once by issue number 72 and 73. 
1973. The core team goes to Las Vegas as bodyguards. Warpath and Siren investigate the death of Warpath's family, and Domino returns to her freelance mercenary trade. The book's focus becomes scattershot, and you wonder which story is the main one. Some of these threads, like Warpath searching for the Vanisher in another dimension in issue number 70, appear to be there just to keep these characters in the book. Even though this title's taken on a whole new direction, X-Force needs to focus on one direction, not three or four. You don't get a good grasp of why these heroes are still a team, and when they'll even be together as one team again. Hopefully future issues will converge all these plot lines and make it a cohesive series again. Finally, these guys all need costumes. Half the team members don't wear any, and the others wear something out of a weird Michael Jackson video. The buzz? The title's new direction has fans a buzz with the possibilities of a cableless X-Force. That alone should keep X-Force as a top 20 book. The skinny? This team book has the potential to be the best of the X-Bunch, with interesting characters and an on-the-run mentality. It just needs to focus on one team of characters with the on-the-run direction. The verdict? A three. It's so-so. But obviously they see room for improvement. I will say I read this way back when when we were getting ready to talk to Jason Liebig, you know, who was an assistant X-Men editor at the time. And yeah, I, I kind of agree with them that I thought it was going to be more fun. I thought it was going to be like Jed 13 because that's what at least the promotional materials reminded me of and the Adam Polina art. But it wasn't the case. And yeah, like the scattershot nature of having all the characters on like side adventures. It's like, what are you doing? Like, I thought you guys were supposed to be traveling together and getting stuff done together, but instead it's a whole lot of just like, oh, we gotta tie up this loose end, tie up this loose end. So yeah, X-Force definitely wasn't for me, even though I thought this might have been a jumping on point. All right, the next one here is, ooh, get ready for it, Impulse. Quick with humor slow with substance. So this is the William Mesner Loeb's and Craig Rousseau run. Uh, Umberto Ramos obviously was very busy. What you need to know. Teen speedster Bart Allen, grandson of the Silver Age Flash, grew up in an accelerated virtual reality in the 30th century. Now in the 20th century, Bart lives with his speedster mentor Max Mercury, who helps him control his super speed and impulsive nature as the teen hero Impulse. The good. This book can be very funny. The hysterical visual thought balloons let readers inside Impulse's head. When someone mentions to Impulse that he was a Navy SEAL, Impulse thinks up a picture of an actual SEAL wearing a Navy uniform. That's issue 29. The cartoony art is expressive, letting you in on the book's attitude almost immediately. Heck, even the covers are pretty much a one-gag joke. Impulse himself is a big part of the fun, and we see the world through his impatient eyes. Who hasn't sat in a history class watching the clock crawl by? Well, it happens to Bart every day, and having grown up in a virtual reality setting in the far future, everything's one big video game for Bart, so he's always acting without thinking of the consequences. Keeping up with this super speedy teen hero is a hoot, and there's also a good teenage school feel to the book. Through Bart's friends, classmates, teachers, and even guidance counselors. The bad. Impulse is missing the energy and depth that it used to have. The stories are way too simple and goofy. In fact, you never feel the characters are in any real danger, a trait this series always used to balance with humor. How does Impulse find out which villain kidnapped Max Mercury in issue number 31? Simple. He searches the internet and finds the evil Dr. Morlow's webpage, which reveals the location of his secret hideout. And in issue number 33, Impulse stops White Lightning by throwing papers into her helicopter engine. It's ridiculously forced outcomes like these that make Impulse read like a silly episode of Scooby-Doo. Then there are the times when the book tries to get serious, like when Bart's Fred Preston visits his mom in a mental hospital in issue 32, but they just don't work. Rather than feeling for the characters, you're left wondering what such awkward moments are doing in a fluffy slapstick title. And the villain's Impulse faces are pretty sad. White Lightning's a chick with a big arsenal of guns. Dr. Morlow, Max Mercury's arch foe, is a wacky mad scientist with all sorts of weird gadgets gizmos. Without real villains to challenge Impulse, our hero gets boring real fast. The buzz. Word has it that Impulse co-creator Mark Wade will return to this title, which would certainly infuse it with what made the book initially successful. The skinny? Impulse can certainly be funny, but that's about it. A lack of seriousness, decent villains, and character depth keeps you from really caring about anyone in this title. The verdict? Another three. It's just so-so. I will say I, I was not reading Impulse. Michael hates Impulse. I don't know if we're ever going to cover Impulse. <laughs> Robin's reading Rainbow or something. So I will say, though, as far as my exposure to Impulse, I've been gearing up for coverage of Young Justice when that starts being promoted in Wizard, because if you watch our haul videos on YouTube, you know that recently I came across a really nice run of Young Justice. And so I'm starting out with the JLA 
say a world without grown-ups little mini series deal because i want to really see where that core team came together and so that's kind of where i'm going to be starting with impulse for better or for worse and what i've read so far yeah it seems like you know it's just max mercury always coming down on him hassling him so i don't know how much fun that is but hey this is another book i've heard a lot about that i still haven't had a chance to read yet and that is young heroes in love so this was by dan raspler and dev maiden Maiden? Madame? Anyway, what you need to know. Bonfire, Frostbite, Off-Ramp, Thunderhead, Monster Girl, Zip Kid, and Junior are the horniest group of champions in the DC Universe, manipulated by their leader, Hard Drive, into joining the new super team called the Young Heroes. The good. What a superhero soap opera. It has a real-world feel, yet the only difference is this shows what it would be like if young people actually had superpowers. It's fun to watch the title's grassroots characters jokingly bumble along, worrying more about dating a teammate than clobbering bad guys. Situations such as Thunderhead's attempt at using the miniature hero Junior to swipe a candy bar from a vending machine in issue 7 are good for lots of laughs. The book also doesn't take itself seriously. Characters will occasionally break the fourth wall, realizing they are merely characters in a comic book. Before Junior recounts his origin in issue number six, Off-Ramp asks to keep it to only a few panels. Also, since this is a soap opera, and smutty as it sounds, it's fun to try to figure out who's going to end up in bed with whom. Will Bonfire stay in bed with Frostbite, or go with Thunderhead? Or both! Or neither! Will Zip Kid stay with her jackass boyfriend? Uh, you'll feel just a little dirty, but you'll enjoy it. Plus, the clean art gives the book an animated feel that helps maintain the book's funny and lighthearted tone. The bad. Trouble is, much as we like the seedy romances, there's little story beyond them. The book needs more action, and there are too many issues with unexciting generic villains like a mummy in issue number three, or no villains at all. Readers are left kind of clueless as to the book's direction. There are also a couple of plot elements left dangling. The book barely scratches the surface about what the characters do in their personal lives. These characters are interesting, but let us care about them more through their alter egos. And as cool as Hard Drive's manipulating ways are, it's taking too long to get to his motives, and Monster Girl's counter-manipulating for that matter. Finally, the book's harmless-looking title and the otherwise cartoonish art is a bit misleading. This is a mature book with quite a few blatant sex references, but you wouldn't know it looking at most covers. The buzz? Sales have been kind of blah, but expect some controversy when two male members of the team look at pursuing a relationship. The Skinny. This is a good soap opera comic book, but the comic needs to follow through on more personal drama, diabolical villains, and plot developments to make it a great soap opera comic comic book. The verdict? A four, which is good. So that's very interesting to see that they felt like this was maybe a little bit more uh, in the direction of what they wanted X-Force and Impulse were meandering. All right, let's get to our last review here for Desperados, the X-Files of the Wild West. So this was actually brought up in a recent issue when they were doing the 8 to the 4 because they were talking about John Cassidy joining Jeff Marriott to do this book right now. So what you need to know. Set in the Wild West, Gideon Brood, Jerome Betts, and Abby DeGrazia are three rogues on the trail of a bizarre serial killer named Lender Peak. But on their trail is a posse that wants to bring them to justice for their involvement in an accidental murder. Running from the law, this trio meets out justice the best they can. The good. This book isn't cliche, at least for the most part. The script, art, and design all work together to give this book an awesome western feel. Little details such as captions looking like old-style notebook pages go a long way, and it helps that the main characters are both noble and ruthless, adding to an atmosphere of the law of the west. Just as enjoyable are the main characters, who we learn are full of depth. Rather than hiding character information, Desperados gives a different character's background story each issue, and they're all interesting. Details such as Jerome's near hanging in issue 2, and Abby's experience as a prostitute in issue 3 make it easier for readers to understand their motivations for finding Peak. Also, with its paranormal angle, the book has some truly chilling moments, such as when Gideon finds his son skinned like an animal in issue 1. It's creepy as hell when the dead animals are always left in Peak's wake, and Peak's sick reason for killing is disturbing. This is truly the X-Files in the West. Finally, writer Marriott deserves kudos for doing his research, throwing in helpful tidbits about historical settings and events, and giving advice on how to survive a gunfight. We'll keep it in mind.
the bad. The ending fizzles in a big way. Despite a great story buildup with interesting characters, Desperados finishes too neatly in an anticlimactic way. Peak is truly evil and slippery as a villain, and in the end is simply shot in the back and killed in one panel's time. When the Apache tribe saves the hero's butts a second time in issue 4, the first time happened in issue 3, it's predictable and unoriginal. Even the hero's decision to become paranormal investigators at the very end seems very rushed and last minute. Hopefully future stories will deliver in the end, but this ending was a letdown. The ugly. Just kidding. Get it? The good, the bad, the ugly. Anyway, the buzz, not much. But with issue number five shipping in April, followed by a trade paperback of issues one through four in June, the series should stay monthly afterward. The skinny. Who would have thought a Western could work these days? Despite an anticlimactic ending, great characters, and a truly Western feel, makes Desperados a surprisingly good read. We look forward to reading more. The verdict for a good. So we got two so-sos and two goods this issue. I'd be curious to know how many of you are reading any of these titles at this time. I mean, I'm willing to bet that X-Force was still on some people's poll list and Young Heroes in Love we have heard about when we've posted some ads in the magazine, so I don't know, we'll see. But hey, let's get into some more fun here. So I've been wanting to throw in a few odds and ends because Wizard is really packing the magazine in this era with a lot of extras. And one of those is a sidebar at the end of the Kevin Smith interview called Kevin Can't Wait. And it says here, Kevin Smith's got plenty of ideas for how he'd translate today's most popular comics into kick-ass films. Here's a few. Spider-Man. I'd leave out Mary Jane so we could concentrate on him, his antics, his adventures. Mary Jane's a great character, but in two hours to involve Peter's love life? Besides, in the first one, you'd be dealing with Gwen Stacy. Well, of course, we see how Sam Raimi handled that and MJ's and all of them, and a good part of them, I'd say. All right, X-Men. Quote, I'd simplify it and keep it to year one. Deal with the original team. I know everybody's like, if they're gonna do an X-Men movie, they'd need Wolvie, but let's keep it simple. Start from the origin, which I think would have been a really interesting approach. I mean, personally, I love First Class more than the other movies, although I, I still love The Last Stand a lot. But anyway, that's a discussion for another day. Spawn 2. Quote, I'd concentrate less on the special effects and concentrate more on his story. Effects can help a movie like that, but you need a strong story. Batman 5. Quote, I'd start studying the lead character, spend some time with him, period. Let's talk about Bruce Wayne and not these contrived Bruce angst things from Batman Forever. He meets Chase Meridian and is like, I'm shutting it all down, Alfred. No more Batman. What are you, high? Batman's thirst for justice just doesn't allow for that. All right, well, here's one that does get made that we know about it. It's Iron Man. He says, I'd concentrate on him being an alcoholic as well as the superheroics. To have a superhero that has a handicap of some sort would be interesting. And alcoholism would be a great one. <laughs> well, they never quite go that direction, do they? But I'm curious, yeah, if they ever reboot Iron Man, if they will go with that. JLA, I'd just beg Grant Morrison to do the job. <laughs> so let Grant Morrison write the script. Fair enough. Daredevil. All right, so here's what he does work on. Let's see how this goes. Quote, I'd have a real long conversation with Frank Miller. See what he thought? Then I'd do that with a bit of my stuff thrown in. I wouldn't work with Elektra, not right away, but I'd definitely play around with Bullseye. And finally, I guess they just wanted to give him a curveball. Hot Stuff, The Little Devil from Harvey Comics. Quote, I'd engage Hot Stuff in a war with Morningstar and Lucifer in a battle for Hell's Helmet. That'd be good, right? This dude in diapers just flat out trying to rule the underworld? That would be hot. <laughs> glad that he was taking that as it was presented to him. All right, now there's another sidebar I wanted to get into as well. Let me share this one with you. So we talked about the nasty boys, you know, last man standing thing with the heroes that they thought were the toughest, but they also did a sidebar called Bad to the Bone about what if the villains had a throwdown. So they preface their list by saying, now, what about the bar on the other side of town? You know, the dirtier, meaner, more dangerous dockside dive where the brawlers from the other side of the fed sit and eat beer nuts? Who are the top 10 toughest supervillain brawlers? So number 10 is Killer Croc. Born with a rare skin disease that gives him a scaly appearance, Croc abides his super tough skin, almost in human strength, and bestial savagery to tear his opponents apart. 
Literally. Deadpool is number nine. One of Wolverine's replacements of the Weapon X program, Wade Wilson is an unstable assassin for hire who doesn't follow any of the rules and can regenerate any part of his body. Number eight, Mr. Hyde. A chemist who created a Jekyll and Hyde-like formula, Calvin Zabo can transform himself into the towering juggernaut known as Mr. Hyde, but with a twist. He keeps his intellect and his cunning and gains bestial brutality. Number seven is Bane, the man who broke Batman. Bane is a self-taught master of punishment with an unmatched mind for cunning and deceit. Number six, Bullseye, the ultimate weapon master. The adamantium-spined Bullseye can turn any object, playing card, blow dryer, paperclip, whatever, into a lethal weapon. All right, we're halfway through the list here. I really thought that they were going to do more with, like, you know, okay, then this guy takes out this guy. We're not getting a whole lot of humor here. But uh, next up, we have the Taskmaster. Able to duplicate any non-superpowered feat he sees with his mutant photographic reflexes, the Taskmaster has the combined fighting prowess of Captain America, Hawkeye, Daredevil, Iron Fist, the Swordsman, and dozens more. Then we have KG Beast, the anti-Batman. The Beast is a Russian agent who will stop at nothing to complete his objective, facing capture. The Beast cut off his own hand when it became entangled in a cable. That drive combined with his murderous fight fighting technique and cunning strategic mind make the beast one of the most underrated villains in all of comicdom so i just read that miniseries for the first time or at least you know that story arc it was great i really loved it and we talk about it in our upcoming batman special so i'll just tease you with that number three Sabretooth, the evil wolverine that's Sabretooth in a nutshell inhumanly strong mutant healing factor berserker fighting style in an unquenchable thirst for blood what the tooth lacks in finesse he makes up for in sheer for so I was playing Wolverine versus Sabretooth with my four-year-old this morning with my old 90s action figures. So <laughs> Sabretooth is fresh in my mind as well. Number two, Deathstroke. What if Captain America went bad? Similar to Cap in origin, the assassin Deathstroke is an ex-soldier, a product of a secret soldier like Serum and trained to never lose a battle. Having scored victories over Batman and the Teen Titans, Deathstroke has proven to be one of the most dangerous men in the DCU. See, this is what I would have loved for them to have Taskmaster versus Deathstroke. But the Last Man Standing feature is starting up in Wizard next issue, and so I'm sure uh, that was a team-up they did at some point. Finally, number one is Lobo. After murdering the rest of his race, the ruthless bounty hunter Bastich, known as Lobo, has made a name for himself while killing even more stuff. He is near vulnerable, almost as strong as the Hulk, and so bad that when he died and went to hell, the devil resurrected him just to get away from him. That, and he's kicked Superman in the nuts. <laughs> so, here's the thing. So, I, I said that I felt like Lobo was the one that needed to be on the list during the main episode, and did they consider him a villain? Because, like, the Punisher made their list, and the Punisher sure is you know obviously an anti-hero but i feel like lobo yeah he's a maniac but it seems like most of the people he kills are at least worse than him you know even though it's for personal reasons most of the time or unless he's being paid he's a bounty hunter after all so i don't know i, I feel like lobo deserved maybe i mean it's great that he's number one on their list but i i still feel like he should have been in the main feature but hey, we're done with those sidebars, but I've been reading some comics and I want to share my thoughts with you. So let's get going on Robin's Reading Rainbow. This is a review that's like a year in the making. So not this 4th of July past, but the previous 4th of July in 2022, I stopped into a comic book store near where my dad lives. I was digging through the back issues. It was a patriotic holiday. And I grabbed these issues of Pitt because they had an American flag logo on them. And I thought, oh, that's funny. And I noticed that they were not image. They were full bleed studios. And so this is some of the later issues of Pitt, uh, when he was starting to self-publish again. These are issues 16 and 17 that we're going to talk about. Now, here's the thing. I felt like we had not heard from Dale Keown. His name was not mentioned. He's not in the top 10 artist list or anything for years. It's like he just disappeared. And so all of a sudden, there's a little half-page uh, ad. And so... I posted that. Everybody's like, oh no, I gave up on him long before that, according to all of you out there. Uh, so I thought it'd be worth checking this out and just see what do we think is going on in these comics? Because I've read like the first three or four issues of Pit, but then I get to this stuff. I'm like, 
it wasn't like this at all in the beginning. It was much more sci-fi. And now it just feels like a weird action movie because uh, issue 16 opens up with President Bill Clinton, 100% rendered it is Bill Clinton, on the lawn of the White House. And this creature that looks like Pitt is approaching him and he says, you're here to kill me, aren't you? Yes, you know? And so this is the weird thing because all throughout this issue definitely feels stolen from Dark Knight Returns and Frank Miller. There are these talking head newscasters reporting on terrible stories that were all real stories going on in the news at this time. So, for example, she's saying more trouble for President Clinton today as yet another former White House aide claims he made sexual advances towards her. Paula Jones's attorney was quick to take this as further evidence so that it trails off. But there are a ton of things like that going on in this issue. And uh, each is more gruesome than the last. There's all these like terrible stories about parents, you know, and wives and spouses doing all these terrible things to each other but they were all real news stories I remember these coming out and I was like I don't think I wanted to be reminded of any of these stories uh, <laughs> from our past uh, but now that I think about it I'm looking at this I think this might be Pitt that's come to kill him but he's just all messed up or something because <sighs> there's this character in the story who's this soldier who says he saw four years into the future he had this premonition and that and by the end of the issue, you have Pitt saying, because he's kind of confused, that he's going to go kill President Clinton. So maybe they're just like, the rest of the story is playing backwards from there. It's kind of a memento type deal. But... The lazy storytelling in this that I feel is that Dale Keown has basically like readouts of transcripts of conversations between all these like military officials and things like that. And yes, there are word balloons and things like that, but he's, he's taking up space by basically just putting his script in there as opposed to drawing any of the characters saying each individual thing. Now, the other deal that's going on here is, as you always remember, you have Timmy and Pitt, right? But this is a time jump. So Timmy is now a teenager and he's like a punk he's smoking you know he's just up to no good and you see him come into his apartment and all of a sudden there's this naked woman in front of him and she has blood all over her you know, and actually her naughty bits are you know carefully covered by a, a well-placed elbow and the smoke from his cigarette which is very gen 13 mini series I think you would say but anyway she throws this side dampening collar on him because apparently she doesn't want him to be able to connect with Pitt or call Pitt, although I think he hasn't been in his life for quite a while. But anyway, so now you find out that she's not a naked woman, really. Uh, that is this other Pitt-like creature who is a shapeshifter who has taken on this form to distract him, but kind of keeps going back and forth between the naked woman look and the full creature look. Meanwhile, Pitt is being hunted by the military. They see him as a threat, so he's fighting him. You get like big double-page spreads of these Iron Man type suited soldiers coming in to fight him. So yeah, there, there's a lot of monster mayhem. There's a lot of action, but I got to say that the conversations between the military officials are pretty boring and you get a fair amount of those pages as well, just to kind of move things along. But you see that Pitt is determined and the guy who's like, I know what you're going to do. I saw the future, but I can't stop you. But you got to understand you don't need to kill the president. But then Pitt basically, he's focusing. He's like, what are you doing? And he's says like oh i'm trying to find my prey and then all of a sudden president clinton's in the oval office and he's like ah ah something's coming to kill me and then Pitt just says i found him and that's the end of the issue i just found that really interesting because i didn't know that Pitt had the psychic powers i knew he had the link with timmy but i didn't understand that he could also do that so anyway a little bit i'm learning about the character but overall i wasn't super impressed again if you want just action it's in there but I, it's not maybe quite quite as clever as it wants to be because it just it felt very derivative it feels like okay i've seen all this stuff now you get into issue 17 which on the cover has this guy in an american flag tank top type thing and he's got these gun arms that seem to be you know growing out of his like it's like organic techno organic stuff it's kind of a cable look but when you get into the issue itself you there's a lot more conversation here and they mentioned that it's actually a character named captain 
Jason Carter. And I was like, wait a minute, did Marvel's What If read Pitt? No, it's just obviously you would make Peggy Carter Captain Carter. But they say that he was a super soldier that hasn't aged. So, you know, in this era we have fighting American, but now we also have Captain Carter, who's, a, you know, an American flag-wearing super soldier of some sort. Um, the other thing is because uh, Timmy is continuing to be harassed by this other purple Pitt-style monster. I still don't even know his name. I guess I should have paid attention to that. So Timmy kind of runs away after stabbing him in the eye and is hiding in this room, but the room has like a mail slot. And so I don't know what this creature is pulling out but he like cuts his hand open he pulls out this strand of something from his body and then he pushes it through the mail slot in a loop and then just starts you know garroting timmy so <laughs> you can't escape and also you know maybe don't stand right next to the door when you're trying to get away from someone who's pursuing you trying to kill you but the other funny thing about this is when they find captain carter just getting back to that storyline he says little buck and then little buck whoever that is says freezing must agree with you you look good jacob hell you look exactly like you did after that zarathustra drug turned you into an adonis back in 41 you've aged well buck that's the closest i've ever heard you come to telling a lie must be some icicles left in your head so obviously little buck is supposed to be bucky and you have captain america here the other strange thing is part of this team kind of this strike force i don't know if they have a name or what their designation is but they have this big green monster who basically looks like the savage dragon except instead of a fin on his head he has kind of a spiky scalp it's not even like you know protruding spikes it's just like it looks like there's spikes underneath his skin so that's kind of a weird thing and then ultimately you see the monsters turn back into a naked woman because you know dale kyo knows you got naked ladies in your book it's gonna sell but she fully pulls the garrot wire and chops his head off so you see the other side of the door and his head is just sitting on the ground mouth agape eyes wide like i was just like what they killed timmy <laughs> this is the south park era after all and so finally you have Pitt is coming after uh this military is in this battle and i guess he ripped it off one of the you know soldiers in the armor but he has this giant gun that he's kind of stuck his hand through and he's blasting all all the military vehicles out of the sky until at the very end you see Captain Carter posed majestically saying you've killed your last American monster and he's got smoke coming off of his gun hands and then it's to be continued this issue 17 really did surprise me because I was just like whoa that's a lot of violence but killing Timmy by cutting his head off it's very creative it was very fun I should mention that in the back of these issues like they don't really have like major letters columns I think most of Dale Keown's fans uh, just loved art so so it's all fan art of Pitt that people are sending in. But then at issue 17, they have a rip and art contest and you could win a page in an upcoming issue of Pitt. So first prize winner gets their art professionally colored and published as a full page Pitt up in a future issue of Pitt and a complete set of Pitt comics, all signed by Dale. And then runners up will have their winning art published in an upcoming letter rip column. So that must just be an ongoing thing. And maybe they were just putting in another reminder here. I will say none of the names of the winners uh, are people that I recognize, you know, working in the business today. So I don't know how many of them became famous, but you tell me. Do you know Frankie Washington, Billy Postel, Andrew Schick, Al Masi Riley, or Chris Goodrich? Uh, how about Casey Miller, Tio Ike Share in Singapore, or Jaime Monasterial? I don't know. So it's just kind of interesting to see some of these people because the art is really impressive and he has those fully inked and colored pages in there too. So anyway, Pit a couple of years on it was never for me I can't say I wasn't entertained and surprised but yeah there you go the legacy of Dale Keown continues now it's time to check out a list that Pit used to be on yes it's time for the top 10 heroes and villains
Spawn is still reigning supreme in the number one spot. Being a nice fella, Al Simmons, Spawny got you, pal, occasionally drops by on his wife, Wanda, but every time Wanda sees him, she freaks. Spawn can't figure out why. Here's a hint, Al. You look like you wash your face with a 12 molar hydrochloric acid. Spawn's face looks like rotting meat. A shoestring holds his mug together, and he's only got 12 hairs left on his head. He looks like a Barbie doll that's been left in the microwave on high for 10 minutes, and he probably has a smell to match. Oh well, Spawn may be the most popular character go these days, but he ain't too smart. Number two is Witchblade. Yeah, looks like Sarah Pazzini, Miss Witchblade herself, is coming off a long night. We're willing to bet she has a lot of long nights. After all, not only is she a full-time cop and this generation's chosen bearer of the Witchblade, but she's also one quasi-fabulous babe in the Top Cow universe. We bet anytime she wants, she can rope any bull in the cow's pasture and knock witch boots with the lucky guy until dawn. <laughs> wow. Sure, it's a busy life, and sure, it's probably fun, but if you wind up looking like this in the morning, is it really worth it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Number three, Wolverine, who is definitely down for the count in this picture they chose. Speaking of looking like death warmed over, chewed up and spit out whole, welcome to the Wolverine portion of our countdown. Wolvie's got a nifty keen mutant healing factor, allowing him to rebound for practically any wound, and it looks like he feels obligated to get as many miles out of it as he can. Wolvie gets his ass kicked, but good more consistently than anyone we've ever seen. But he always comes back good as new. That's a big part of his appeal. You could say he gets knocked down, but he gets up again. Hey! Maybe we can make a song about that. Oh. Now, if that doesn't pinpoint this moment in time for you, I'm actually surprised there was never a superhero somewhere called Tub Thumper. But anyway, number four, Batman. Now, we've heard of square jaws before, but this is ridiculous. Just look at Batman's mug here. His chin is a set of perfectly realized 45-degree angles that your geometry teacher would probably have a hard time drawing. He makes Jay Leto look like he has a little girly chin. But since Bats is the star of four monthly titles all his own and takes on the toughest real man leadership role in DC's hyper-popular JLA, the old Dark Knight detective is one of the most popular heroes in all of comicdom. So maybe he ain't a runaway model pretty. He gets the job done. Number five is Deadpool. Gadsden for souks! What goes on here? Deadpool, one of the funniest guys found on four color pages, is wearing a beret? A stinking French-inspired poofy fashion accessory? Why? Well, maybe it had to do with being part of his clever disguise that he used to infiltrate the X-Mansion so he could check in on his sometime girlfriend, Siren. See, Deadpool merely donned this offensive headgear so that he could sneak in and get some. Now that's clever. And always fashionable. Number six, The Darkness. Nice face. You look like the Borg. Okay, maybe Jackie Estacado, the current wielder of the darkness, hasn't been assimilated, but he does have a new penciler, Mr. Joe Benitez, whose talents are showcased in this mugshot. Benitez takes over on one of comics' most popular characters with the darkness number 13 hitting, oh, right about now. And if Estacado doesn't like Benitez, he could always sub it up about 53 of those cute but evil little darkling guys to feast on his entrails. Hey, Joe, no pressure. Number seven is Iron Man. Woohoo! Iron Man is back where he belongs! He's back in place in the one and only Marvel Universe, and best of all, he's no longer the snot-nosed 17-year-old punk who betrayed the Avengers! As if that wasn't enough to have Iron fans peeing their pants. There's also the fact that Monthly Adventures of Tony Stark are brought to you by new artist Sean Chen, who's doing an ass-whipping cool job at drawing some of the finest armor you've ever seen. Number eight is Magneto. Woohoo! Magneto is back where he belongs! He's back in the place as the one and only all-time X-Men badass villain, and best of all, we now can have our pie and eat it too! Magneto and the ever-enigmatic Joseph, we all thought he was Magneto until the revelations of Uncanny X-Men number 350, now coexist in the Marvel Universe. How's Magneto gonna celebrate his triumphant return? We're betting on some evil, followed by more evil, and uh, then some evil. We can't wait. Number nine is The Thing. Woohoo! The Thing is back where... Ah, we're getting repetitive. But make no mistake, nobody but nobody is more lovable than Aunt Petunia's favorite nephew, the man inside the monster we all root for deep down inside, the cigar-chopping, clobberin'-time bellowing, ever-loving, blue-eyed thing. And even though he's got a mug that looks like 20 miles of bad road, Ben Grimm has always put the most human face on the Fantastic Four. Fans everywhere are jazzed at his return. Finally, number 10 is 
Preacher. Secrets of Comics revealed! It can finally be told, Jesse Custer's star Preacher is actually the love child of Little Orphan Annie. The blank pupils are a dead giveaway. Suddenly, we know why Daddy Warbucks hung around Annie all those years. Too bad Jesse's too busy to write home to Mom these days. He's taking all the saved killers out in Monument Valley, Arizona, and continuing his quest to find God and make him go back to heaven. Hey, keeps the guy busy. So, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> I mean, they say he's the love child of little orphan Annie with, hmm. Uh, anyway. All right, well, let's get on to your favorite segment, I'm sure. Yes, this is the Mort of the Month. This time around, our mort is Blue Streak. Blue Streak, a painful remnant of bizarre 1970s culture when roller skating was actually cool, was a villain who tried to infiltrate S.H.I.E.L.D., Marvel's elite anti-terrorist organization, with rocket-powered roller skates. You see, with these skates, he could, uh skate really really fast and that's about it needless to say he got beat like a drum after an incredibly short and very unproductive criminal career blue streak was fortunately turned into a red streak when scourge a villain who killed other villains blew his brains out in a show of good taste good riddance and mortometer has two empty spaces here it was interesting when i first saw this i was like oh is this a mr freeze redesign because he's all blue and white he's got kind of this tube uh, going over his mouth and he's got shoulder pads and stuff it just looked very mr freeze but then i looked down under the mortometer and saw the skates i was like oh they would be ice skates if he was even a you know mr freeze associate of some sort so blue streak dead oh so sad well that does it for this edition of wizards half thank you so much for joining me getting this little extra slice of fun but speaking of fun let me tell you what's coming up next on the podcast so next week we are going to bring you our batman special with lee markowitz a patron and listener to the podcast you might remember him from our green lantern movie casting call that we discussed last mini episode he brought a lot to the conversation it really was a ton of fun you guys know that michael is a huge huge Batman fan. So we had a lot to discuss. Uh, also coming up with issue 81 in our coverage there, our guest for that is a WWE referee, Jason Ayers. Yes, an active referee for the WWE who happens to be a huge 90s comics fan. And so he will be with us for that as well as a returning guest who is a huge WWE and pro wrestling fan in general, Kevin Hellions. So we are excited to have them both joining us for that conversation. So just something to look out for coming your way soon. I also just want to drop this your way. I'm going to be attending RetroCon, which is September 8th and 9th. That's in Oaks, Pennsylvania. If you're one of those people who lives back east where everything feels like Europe and you can just get to all these other states really fast and you want to be there and say, hey, I'm going to be at RetroCon both days. So I'd be very excited to say hello. Hey, might even pass off a wizard sticker to you, but just wanted to let you know about that event. It's super fun. This is my fifth year, I think, attending. It's just, it's always a blast. It's a trip for me, but it's definitely worth it. Uh, So just to give you an idea of what they do there, they have vintage action figure vendors, just vintage toys in general. I've picked up comics there. I've picked up issues of Wizard there. There's cosplay contests. There's celebrities from your favorite cartoons. This year, they have the cast of the Dukes of Hazzard are going to be there. But it's just a real cozy, fun event. So if that's something you like old stuff, looking back like this... Well, you get all that and more at RetroCon. So just a little plug for them there. They're not sponsoring anything here, but it's my happy place. It's something that I enjoy. Maybe you will too. Of course, if you want more from the Wizards experience, go on over to YouTube. Check out our videos there. Totally separate from what we do here on the podcast. If you haven't checked out our Superhero Fantasy Draft for 2023 Extreme Edition, I really recommend it. Super fun event. Uh, But also want to suggest getting over to Patreon.com forward slash Wizards comics. Why? Well, you're getting uncut episodes, you're getting PDF scans of the issues, you're getting exclusive videos. We have a Patreon chat that Michael and I do, just kind of general thoughts. We might review the latest superhero movie that's in theaters. Plus you get 90s Super Cinema, which is our bonus Patreon-only podcast, where we are going to be covering Blade very soon. So that's the newest episode waiting to come up. In the meantime, I will tell you that we are going to release pretty soon past episodes 
to our main feed here so you can enjoy those and get a taste. But also, last thing, just want to mention, you know, everybody's kind of hopping around to different social media sites. We are on Blue Sky right now. So if Blue Sky is something that you've joined, you've gotten your invite code to the beta version of that right now and you want to find us over there, we are available at Wizards Comics as always. But hey, until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.